Good morning, everyone. Glad you're here. It's a great morning. Um, not only because it's bright and sunny outside and all that good stuff and we're all together, but just because we get to open the Word of God and, and hear from it this morning. And uh, I truly believe these are the words of life uh, that we need, the bread, the nourishment, the spiritual nourishment we need on a daily basis for our hearts, for our soul, for our minds. So we get the awesome opportunity to do that today and not just today, but as often as we want to come to this book and, and hear from the Lord and commune with Him. So that's a very special thing. And, and I pray for each one of us that we wouldn't take that lightly, that we would dig into the Scriptures and, and be formed by them. Um, my name is Ricky, if I have not met you yet, and I'm one of the pastors here. And the other two are gone. So it's going to be a fun morning here for us. I'm excited. It's awesome. So as the youth pastor, uh, we, we, we meet... Uh, Sunday evenings and Sunday mornings, and, and it's an awesome time together. And the Sunday evenings for youth group, we've been doing something a little bit different the last, it's been like two months now, but we've been doing the Youth Alpha course, and many of you are familiar with the Alpha course because you have participated in it yourself, the uh, the regular version, the adult version. It's such a great class. I, I got to take that class also um, quite a few years ago, one of our first times we did it, and it's just awesome content. So we, um, this is our third time doing the youth version. We haven't done it in a few years. Um, actually, probably since Bethany was in high school was the last time we did the youth version, and we're doing it again now because it's just so awesome, and there's so many students here who haven't had the opportunity to go through the, the course yet. And it's basically Christian essentials, you know, the, the A through Z of, of Christianity. Um, who's Jesus? What is the Bible? Um, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that kind of stuff. Pretty, pretty foundational, but it's so, so good. So we are at week, we were at week eight two weeks ago, then we had a pool party last week, and tonight we have about two more weeks left of the Youth Alpha course. But two weeks ago was a weird time, um, because we welcomed a lot of our, our new middle school students into the group, and we're doing this all together, the Alpha course. And the way it's designed is there are different tables, and you sit with um, a group of students at these different tables, and they have a leader, and it's just discussion questions. You watch a short video, uh, you pause it, you, you answer a question, and you talk about it. And uh, two weeks ago, we, we welcomed a bunch of sixth graders in uh, who were coming in at the tail end of the Alpha course, which is not the most opportune uh, time to participate, but nevertheless, it's, it's a great thing. So they came in on uh, a lot of them. There's, I think there's about six of them at that point at my table, um, all, all brand new sixth graders. And our topic that night was evil. <laughs> like, why is there evil in the world? And that's a really good, that's a really good discussion because that is such a big hindrance to Christianity for many people. If there's a God and he's good, why is suffering, why is there suffering? Why do bad things happen? Why is there so much darkness and chaos in the world? And that's a legitimate question. So uh, week eight of the Alpha Course gets into that a little bit. After you kind of set the foundation with, um, you know, Jesus and the Bible and those things, you, you get into some of those uh, tougher questions. So evil was the topic of night. And not only did we have new sixth graders, but we had a bunch of their friends come too. So it was like, all right, welcome to youth group. And we're going to talk about evil and bad things tonight. Uh, but the Alpha Course is done so well that it, it takes a deep truth, a deep theological truth, and serves it uh, in bite-sized portions so that nobody leaves confused and, and you really have a, a good grasp on this. So anyways, the way it's designed is that you watch, it's about a 25-minute video. 
Uh, but unlike the regular alpha version, for those of you who've done that, instead of asking all the questions at the end because of attention spans and whatnot, that shows about five minutes of the video, and you pause the video and, and talk about the question, and some of the people in the video answer the question. So I remember when dealing with evil, the very first question, which is really entry level to get people comfortable with talking, said this. It said, if you could change one thing about our world, what would it be? And then we push pause in the video and all the different tables start discussing a lot of people who've been there before. And then I had this group of the the younger kids and um, I thought they would give responses like, well, I would make I would make um, everything, you know, Candyland, you know, that kind of thing, like just a, a paradise, a dream. But they, their answers blew me away. Some of the answers were, man, if I can change one thing about the world, I would make sure that no one goes hungry, especially children. And I was like, wow, that's, that's huge. That's a great response. Another kid said, um, and this blew me away, um, a new sixth grader coming from fifth grade said, I would make sure that there's no such thing as human traffic, trafficking. And I was like, whoa, like that hit me right here, right? Because these are our young people saying this. And, and this girl, this sixth grade girl, went on to say, especially that that exploits children. And I was like, oh, man. And I'm like, that is like, it's a reality, and it's terrible, and it's horrible. And, and these are our young people recognizing that and, and saying that this is wrong and this is bad. And, and that's a reality that's not just like, oh, in the world out there, what we see on the news, but it's happening here. Some of you may have seen the, the article circulating about the, the human trafficking problem in Douglas County, and it just breaks my heart, and it's terrible. So it, it's not a stretch of the imagination. It doesn't take long to figure out that we live in a broken world, right? We live in a broken world with, with so much darkness in it, and, and we live in a, a world that's um, just polluted, if you will, and, and, and chaotic, and, and, and there's just so, so much bad, and, and like the Alpha Course video says, so much evil in our, our world, and we have to navigate through it, and it's such a dark place, and um, I mean, granted, there's so much to be excited about, and, and, and because we have uh, the hope of Jesus in our lives, and we want to spread that positive message, that message of salvation to everyone we encounter with, but we've got to deal with the reality that we live in a broken world, and that should heighten our, our purpose for why we're here. So, if you've been following with us this summer, or if today's your first time, we've been looking at God's plan in this broken world. So, first of all, um, one of the first things I want to say this morning is that God has a plan in a broken world. So, we've been going through the Old Testament this last uh, or this summer. And what we've been doing is we've been following, excuse me, God's plan as, as it unravels in the world, as it unravels in the Bible. So the purpose of this sermon series that we've been doing, I, I forget what week we're on, but we've we're made it up, in, up to the kings, is to, to kind of follow God's story. So we're not going with Genesis and reading the whole thing and reading all of Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, but rather we're looking at key moments in the Old Testament that kind of highlight God's plan. So couple last week at VBS, the the theme was zoom in and focus on Jesus, and essentially that's what we're doing. So in order to do that, we, we have zoomed out to see the big picture, and then as you zoom in on each one of these stories, for instance, Adam and Eve, or Noah, or Joshua, um, as you zoom in on it, you see Jesus clearly, and what his plan is in the world, what God's plan is in the world. So the VBS theme 
though it's, uh, you know, it's easy to say and cute, it's exactly what we're doing here this summer series through the Old Testament. So we've been highlighting God's plan as it goes through the Old Testament to where we're at today, to how we got here, to what our purpose is uh, today. John Walton, a theologian and Old Testament professor, says this. He said, God's plan from the beginning was to create a people among whom he can dwell and with whom he could be in relationship. God's plan is simply this in this world. It, from the beginning was to, to be with us. Simply put, he created us to be with to. He created us to to be in connection with him, to be in communion with him, to be his. John Walton goes on to say this. He created us to be in relationship with him, not because he needed a place to live or had a psychological need for companionship, but rather his plan emerges naturally as an initiative that expresses his character as a creative, relational, and gracious being. So God's plan from the beginning was simply to be with us. And that's what we're doing in this series is following God's plan. Because it sounds simple, right? God created us to be with us, the end, happily ever after, right? That's, that's how we think it should have went. But something happened. Uh, sin entered the world. In the third chapter of Genesis, sin comes into the plan. And now we who were created in God's image to be with him and to be like him. Uh, an illustration I like to use is that of a mirror. Right? God created us in his image so that when he looks at us, he sees a reflection of himself in loving um, grace and all those different attributes of God. So that he created us to be like him, he created us to be with him. But something happened with that reflection, something happened with that mirror when sin entered the world. And, and that is that mirror broke. And an illustration I like to use in youth group is we actually get a mirror and smash it just for the effect, right? The dramatic effect. But now, this image of God that we were created in is, is broken. It's shattered. And, and now, when God, there's not an accurate reflection of who God is in us. Because our relationship with Him has been, has been severed. Our relationship with Him has been broken. Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. Um, so does that mean God's original plan to be with us failed? Did God do something wrong? In, in, in creating a people who would inevitably sin, he created us to be in a relationship with him, to enjoy him, and, and, and we sinned. So does that mean God's plan failed? Absolutely not. Um, one of my favorite authors, um, and, and evangelist, theologian, is Ravi Zacharias. Many of you may know who he is, and I'm actually going to talk about him a little bit later in this, but I'm listening to this book by him. Yes, listening to a book is what I said. Um, because it's so much easier to put in an audio book and model on for me. But he says this, um, speaking of God's plan, speaking of, of um, why God created us, knowing that we might fall, that we might sin. He said this, um, out of God's character of love, he said, where there, quote, where there is a possibility of love, there must be the reality of free will. Where there is the reality of free will, listen, there will inevitably be the possibility of sin. And where there is sin, there is need for a Savior. Where there is a Savior, there is hope for redemption. Only in the Christian worldview does this sequence find its total expression and its answer. The story of sin to redemption is found exclusively in the Bible. Granted, there are variations of it, but it's, it's right here, God's plan. So that's as if to say... The cross in Jesus is not God's backup plan. Because 
God created us to be in relationship with him, and in order for him to do that, he had to create us with the, the ability to, to love him freely. Because if we didn't have that ability to love him freely, it would be as if we were robots. He created robots to love him and to serve him. And, and that's not genuine, true love, right? That's just, yes, I will do whatever you say, like a robot. But because God gave us the free ability to, to love him back, he created us in his image to be like him, to love him, to enjoy a relationship with him freely because he doesn't uh, twist our arm into doing it. He gave us this, this freedom to love him back. And with freedom... Adam and Eve, the first human beings, us, a representative of humanity, used that freedom to not love God, but to listen to the deceiver and to sin against God. And that relationship was then broken. And God knew this in his foreknowledge because he's God. So he didn't scramble to saying, oh, shoot, what do I do now? They sinned. That wasn't part of the plan. I didn't expect that. Um, let, me, let me go and figure something out. Ah, I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll fix this mess. That wasn't it. But rather, God knows us and God loves us and part of the plan was that in our falling away, in our brokenness, he had a plan to redeem us through his son Jesus. And that's the rest of the Bible is this story of redemption from Genesis chapter 3 on is this story of redemption. Um, One of the very first Bible classes I took um, was actually an Old Testament survey class at Moody, uh, in Moody Bible online, online class. And there was a pop quiz the very first day, and I remember it, I remember it clearly, because I, I, I did not pass that pop quiz. One question, and it was this, what is the, what is the Bible mainly about? And I thought, oh, okay, it's multiple choice even, and, and, uh, multiple choice is this, the Bible is about, um, love, the Bible is about grace, the Bible is about redemption, the Bible is about salvation, and I'm like, oh, there's not an, an all button, like, you know, select all, um, all of the above. And I'm like, what is the Bible about? That's easy. So I'm like, it's love. And I'm like, wait a second, is it about grace? No, salvation, uh, redemption. What's, what's the Bible about? And I clicked, I, I went with love. I'm like, that's got to be the overwhel- overwhelming theme of the whole Bible, right? Love. And I got it wrong. And it was redemption. So if you follow through the Old Testament, if you've been with us and you continue on with us through this series, what you see in every story is this theme that God is redeeming his people. And it culminates in Jesus, one sacrifice for all time. And all these other stories of redemption that we see are all shadows pointing to Jesus and what he would ultimately do on the cross once and for all for us. And it's a beautiful story. So it's about redemption. And that's what we're doing today. Our relationship with Christ has been broken by sin, and the rest of the Bible is the account of God's plan to restore his presence to his people and provide the means for them to be able to be in relationship with him again. So, uh, I want to start out by, by talking about this as we get into our story today with David. But before we get there, I want to kind of set the foundation for God's overall plan in the world. So if you turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, we're going to start there and we'll eventually make our way backwards to the story of David's brokenness and downfall. So Romans chapter 8. And we're just going to start with a foundation, read a few verses from Romans chapter 8. We'll be all over the scripture today and spending a a, a big chunk of time um, in different spots. Uh, So stay with me. I'll try to keep your attention as best as I can because this is good stuff. So Romans chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 18 and just read a chunk of Romans 8, starting in verse 18. 
So here's the good news. Started out with bad news of a broken world, and here's the good news. In Romans 8, 18, Paul says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Amen? That's awesome. So in this dark world, in this chaotic world, in this weird world, God has a plan, and his plan is Jesus, and his plan is to make all things right. And that is so such an encouragement, but Paul says there's this aspect of, of hope. Because if we saw it now as it could be, that, that's, not, that's not hope. But what we do see now is this broken view of it. So we, we have this hope that one day Jesus will set all things right. So God has a plan in this broken world, and, and his plan is Jesus. God's plan is Jesus, and he will make all things right. And that's such an awesome promise, and that's such an awesome hope that we look forward to. So two things about living in a broken world that I want us to, to keep in mind as we proceed with the rest of this um, message today, and that's this. Number one is that it's easy to be bogged down with some of the darkness in the world and, and to seclude ourselves and, and, um, and to kind of say, well, this, this world's going to hell in a handbasket. I'm here for the ride. I'll be with Jesus soon enough. Right? That's option one. Or the second option is like Paul says, and that's we have this hope that we are looking forward to and that hope should motivate us for everything we do in life. That hope of Jesus that we get to be with him one day should motivate every single thing we do in life in the here and now. And by motivation, I mean it should give us purpose for why we wake up every single morning and do what we do and in, in hopes that we tell everybody we come into contact with about that hope. Second thing is this. Um, in this broken, dark world, we God has a plan and, and we get to be part of that plan. And that's an awesome thing. So not only do we have this hope, but we get, we get to play a part in the plan that God has in this world as ambassadors for the kingdom of heaven that we're heading to. And that's an awesome thing. So that's this. We're traveling through this world and we're taking as many people with us as we can. So do not despair, but have hope in Christ. So as sort of review... This summer, we followed the major themes of the Bible to highlight God's plan, to see what God's doing in the world. Again, culminating in Jesus. We're going to get there. But here's some of what we've seen so far. Whether you've been with us, this is kind of a reminder of what we've been studying. Or whether uh, you're just joining us today, I, I want to give a brief overview. So, uh, sort of an illustration. I have this piece of yarn with me, and I'm just going to, don't mind me, I'm going to tape it here. Um, a lot of theologians and, 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 and um, commentators, biblical commentators and whatnot, refer to uh, the major themes of the Bible um, as a scarlet thread. Anyone familiar with that term? And what that means is, the Bible has one story. 
And the confusion lies in that we think the Bible sometimes is about us. And uh, the Bible's not about us. It's for us, absolutely. Uh, but we think it's about us. In the Alpha Course, there's a, uh, a section of the, the thing called uh, the Bible. And it says, you know, there's a lot of different views on what the Bible is. Is the Bible um, a roadmap to life, getting you from point A to point Z? I guess you can think of it that way, but not primarily. Is the, uh, is the Bible um, a rule book from God? Some people think of it that way. And sure, it has instruction on how to live life. Um, is the Bible an owner's manual on how life works best? Uh, sure, you can think of it like that. Some people think of it like that. But ultimately, first and foremost, the Bible is, is about God. It's a story of, about God. And again, it's about his um, plan of redemption in this world. And it's for us, absolutely. And, and first and foremost, what the Bible's purpose to reveal to us is, is his story, is his plan to be with us. That's the primary purpose, is to reveal that to us. So, we've seen, um, I already mentioned Adam and Eve blew it in the garden. That's a representation of, of us, of humanity. Uh, but there's something really cool that happens in that third chapter of Genesis. As, as, as the, the curse is coming down on them, there's a promise. And that starts, that starts this scarlet thread through the Bible. That promise starts the process of redemption. And that promise is this, that though... It seems like a big loss for God in this moment that there will be a seed of the woman and that seed of the woman will smash the head of the serpent, right? Though that serpent bites the heel of the seed, that ultimately that serpent will go down. And that's what um, theologians call the proto-gospel. The first mention that there's hope in this hopelessness. There's hope in this world. There's a plan to the madness. There's a plan to the brokenness. That there's this vague promise that, okay, the seed of the woman, humanity, because she's the first woman, um, one day this loss will not be a loss. And that's essentially all they, they understand at this moment. One day the bad guy's going to lose. That's, that's all they have in this first little glimpse into the plan. But sin has entered the world and they left the garden. So we see this downward spiral. We see Cain and Abel and the murder there. And we see that culminate in just the wickedness of the world. So you have this first little glimpse at redemption. Here's a little um, thing, a little clip. This first little glimpse of redemption... And then we see um, the world kind of spiral downhill, right? And God looks down at the earth and he goes, man, this world is so broken beyond repair. And then, and then there's Noah and the flood. And God starts fresh um, and then gives Noah this promise after he floods the earth to get rid of the, the mass amounts of wickedness that is there. And, and there's the Noahic covenant, which is this covenant that God made with Noah that he says... Um, Again, this little glimpse of redemption that never again will he wipe out the earth in such a way that he did. And he puts a rainbow in the sky to, to seal his covenant with, with humanity. But we see this, another glimpse of redemption. So first we saw just a little bit of it, and then we saw a little bit more of it, and it starts to unravel more and more and more. Then you see the downward spiral culminating in the Tower of Babel. God... Um, disperses them, confuses their language. And then after Babel, this man comes out of named Abraham. And you see the Abrahamic covenant, this covenant that God makes with Abraham that, okay, I'm going to reestablish my presence with these people. Um, you will be my people. I will be your God. And, and that does well. And we see the patriarchs. And we see eventually Isaac 
and we, we see um, Jacob, we see Joseph, we see Egypt, and they end up in Egypt due to drought. And uh, in Egypt, they multiply and multiply and multiply. And then uh, the Pharaoh goes, there's too many of you, and, and enslaves them. And they're slaves in Egypt. And then you see Moses as another form of this redemption story. And you see... Um, Passover, and you see that pointing forward to Jesus, and you see that one day uh, Jesus will cover their sins. So you see, you see slavery, you see Moses, you see the Exodus and the Mosaic Covenant. So in the Exodus, God establishes his presence amongst the people, gives them the law, gives them the Ten Commandments, and they do well, and then they sin. And then they do well, and then they sin, and then they do well, and they're stuck wandering for 40 years. And then we see Joshua, who takes them into the promised land, and we see them getting the land that God promised them that was theirs originally. And uh, then once they're in the promised land, God says, um, it's yours, but you've got to wipe out the, the people who are, who are in there uh, because that's your land and it's a wicked people uh, and, and there's all kinds of nastiness happening there. And they fail to do that, and they cohabitate with um, with people who who despise and hate God and practice all kinds of evil, and then you get the time of the judges, and uh, you know at this time they were governed by their individual tribes. And, and the book of Judges, I love it because it, it, if you read the second chapter, it highlights this vicious cycle of sin um, that God saves them. And then they sin, and then they call out to God, and God saves them with a judge, and then they sin. And, and if you read the this book of Judges, it's a cycle of, of sin, right? And then the very last verse of the book of Judges says this, and this really highlights this, this theme, this cyclical, um, this cycle of sin. And uh, the very last verse says this, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And that's where it leaves, we left off last week. There's no king in Israel. And the people say, we want to be like everyone else, right? They, they still don't get the picture. They say, we want to be like everyone else. Give us a king. Um, when really God was supposed to be their king, right? God was supposed to be their authority. God was supposed to be their, their loving father. And what they saw was, man, everyone else is awesome and we want to be like everyone else. So give us what they have. We want a king. And that's where it leaves off. So they choose Saul, for the wrong reasons. And Pastor Nathan introduced us to the king era. And uh, they choose Saul. And, and, and again, failure and, and sin happens. And then God gives them David. God gives them David. And God makes a covenant with David that out of David's line, right? This last clip here, for now. Out of David's line will come one who will be the, 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 the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That out of David's line will come him. And we built David up. He's the giant slayer. He's the awesome king. He's the one God appointed. God makes a covenant with him and things are awesome until sin again. This this cycle. Um, and it, it, it keeps happening over and over. Even with, with God's, selected guy, God's selected guy, David still falls and David still sins. So if you're familiar with the story of David, specifically the, the, the last half of, of David's story, David's downfall, it, it gets messy. And it gets messier and messier and, and, and ends again with all these other kings who eventually did evil in God's sight and brokenness. It divides the nation and, and they get led off into exile. So um, it still doesn't end happy and for in this story. So David has all this success 
and he's at home bored. He's at home comfortable. He should be at war with the Ammonites, with his people, but instead he's home bored and comfortable. He sees a woman bathing. He likes what he sees. He sleeps with her. She gets pregnant. Um, So David, logic obviously, has her husband assassinated um, after he tries a, a sneaky plan that this good, upright man does not fall for. So he has her husband assassinated. And then David plays and pretends to be the hero who then marries this uh, war hero, Uriah. And, and then David lives in unrepentant sin. And, it's, and that's the beginning of David's downfall, which destroys his family, destroys the kingdom eventually, and leads to their inevitable exile further down the line, some kings later. But... If you're in your Bible still, that's all sort of an intro to 2 Samuel um, chapter 12. So go to 2 Samuel chapter 12. I want to read the aftermath of this carnage, the aftermath of this story, and, and talk about this idea a little bit more. So 2 Samuel chapter 12. So David sinned. David is in unrepentant sin. David did something terrible, um, and he hasn't told anyone about it. So chapter 12, verse 1 says this, And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said, told him a story. There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up and grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house and I will take your wives from before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun for you did it secretly. But I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. Man, dark story. But what Nathan does here is he, he, he brings David's sin into focus. And Nathan tells David, that there's forgiveness in the Lord, but there are consequences to your sin. He's, he's saying that some from your own family will rise up to try to kill you, his own son. 
that he will lose a child. And, and, and David lives a, a really broken life thereafter. He, he, he lives a broken life thereafter. And it's really evident. Um, but the thing that happens is this. David acknowledges his sin. And, and in this passage, just, David just quotes saying, I have sinned against the Lord. But there are other Psalms, which are, a lot of them are written by David, that detail, uh, what he's, that, that detail what he went through when he was in unrepentant sin, reflecting back on it. Psalm, I'll just read a couple to you. Psalm 32, a couple verses from Psalm 32 says, blessed is, the, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. It's evident that though David blew it big time in, in, in ways that probably none of us have, right? He probably one-upped us in many different ways in terms of sin. Um, but he also confessed. And he also acknowledged his sin before God. And, and here's the crazy part about that. Uh, in God's grace is that God, the Bible remembers David as a, a man after God's own heart. After all this, with the Bible, what God chooses to highlight about David is that David was a man after God's own heart. So that shows two things. God's crazy, uncomprehendable grace for us and his love for us. And, and that David took the step of acknowledging his sin, confessing his sin, and, 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 and being broken before the Lord. Being broken before the Lord. He didn't stay un, in unrepentant sin, but he acknowledged his sin. He is very much broken. Psalm 51 details this account. Again, a few verses from Psalm 51. He says this, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly. Against you alone have I sinned. Purge me with hyssop. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. He goes on further down. That was just a, a sampling of verses from Psalm 51. But further down he says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Because he says, man, I tried to do all the right things. I tried to make all the right sacrifices so God would forgive me. But the sacrifice God was looking for in my life was my brokenness. The sacrifice God was looking for in my life was this contrition, this contrite heart, this remorse, this repentance of my sin. And, and, and David was a broken man thereafter. But even though he was right with God and, and the Bible remembers him as a man after God's own heart, he still had these lasting consequences for his sin. So what I want to say today is this. In, in one, to one degree or another, um, we, we're all broken because of sin, right? We're, we're all broken because of sin. We enter the world that way. The, our sin nature is something the Bible makes abundantly clear. Uh, in Psalm 51, in, in that same psalm where, where David details this, he says, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. He acknowledges that he has this sin nature about him that's been existent ever since the fall in Genesis 3. Um, because all have sinned and fall short of, the, the, of God's righteous standard, of God's glory. So sin is not just the things we do, the bad things we do, but it's part of our very nature. For example, I, I don't 
I'm not broken and I'm not a sinner because I, I did a sin, but rather I sin as an outpouring of my sinful nature. And just like the judges, just like the children of Israel were, were slaves to sin, like this cycle, like the circle, the vicious cycle, and, and it'll be repetitive in our lives unless something comes in and breaks that cycle of that, that power of sin in our life. Kind of like um, Newton's law of motion, is it? That an object in motion remains in motion unless acted upon by an outside force. Um, we will be stuck in sin, in slaves to sin, um, unless Jesus comes and breaks that. And here's the good, good news. He has. Jesus has. And that's part of God's plan, to restore us to a right relationship with Him. So Jesus came in and He breaks on the cross, He breaks the power of sin in our life and gives us the opportunity to put our faith in Him, to repent of our sin and to have our relationship with Him restored to newness. He takes our brokenness and He puts us back together. He makes us new. So the last thing I want to say as far as... um, God's plan is is this. Just like God has a plan for a broken world, God has a plan for our brokenness. God has a plan for our brokenness. Because here's the thing. um, God absolutely forgives us of our sin. And and we, we are no longer slaves to the power of sin if we've put our trust in Jesus as Lord. And, and we have the ability to not be controlled by, by our sin and not live in a cycle of sin. But again, like I said, to one degree or another, there's, there's brokenness there. Some of us have experienced the consequences of our sin from, from a long time ago. Some of us fall back into the same things that ensnared us and, and so easily fall into those things. But God has a, has a plan for us in this broken world. And, and His plan for us is to, to walk in freedom and to be free of sin and to, to shed light on, on the brokenness of the world and to offer the cure, offer the remedy to the brokenness and the sin in the world. So in one way or another, we're all broken by sin, but can God use broken people? Absolutely He can. He specializes in it. I mean, look at David as the chief example. God can use broken people, but the key is not to remain in, in, in unrepentant sin like David did, but to confess that before the Lord and... Um, and to say, God, use me, and, and to, to move forward with your relationship with God. Jesus wants to rescue us from our sin and redeem our brokenness. There's an interesting part in Psalm 51 where David details his, his unrepentant sin, where David details his sin. And, and there's this, this kind of evangelistic turn in the, in the psalm. And he says this in Psalm 51, verse 12 and 13. He says, Restore me. And then he goes on to say, then I will teach transgressors your ways. So David's saying, God, you can, if, I'm broken before you, but you can use my brokenness. He says, restore me, and I will teach transgressors your way. And I will teach transgressors your way. God can restore us. God can use our brokenness. He can redeem our brokenness. He can give us the power to walk in freedom and not in sin. So there's this idea that God has a plan for our life. God can, can, can use us. God wants to use us. God specializes in using broken people. And, and that's the reality of it. I mentioned earlier um, that I, would, I wanted to... I'm reading this book by R- Ravi Zacharias. And actually, um, I have it on an app. So I'm listening to it. It's called The Logic of God. And it's really great. That was what the quote was from earlier. But um, 
there's a picture of him in case you're unfamiliar with who Ravi Zacharias is, but I, I just admire him. Uh, he's one of the greatest um, apologists in, in our time and evangelists. And he's got a really unique story. And I, I, I listened to an interview of him the other day and he just blows my mind just with the stuff he says. And it's like, um, he's, he's, his whole thing is he's an apologist, so he defends the Christian faith. And his, his primary goal is he goes, I don't want to win the argument, I want to win the person. And that's really admirable. But I, I, I admire him for many other reasons, just his stuff is, is really good. But his story, his testimony is really interesting to me. So he was born in India. And uh, in India, it, he says, it's very drastic. He, he details, you're either in the slums or, or you're doing everything you can to, to get out of them um, with academics. And he says it, it's so drastic that young people are all, the, he said the suicide rate is through the roof because the pressure to succeed is far too great. You either live a terrible life or, or you, the pressure to succeed is too heavy. And he, uh, he, want, he loves cricket, he said, the, the game, cricket. I still don't understand that game, but he, it's really popular in India. And he wanted, to, he wanted his life to be about cricket. He wanted to play cricket. And uh, when that came into conflict with the only way to get out of his bad situation, he, he attempted suicide as a young man, as a, as a 17-year-old, because he realized, and he quotes, he says, I could not live up to the consequences of, of what life meant. And it left him in a really, really dark, and he says, broken place. And so he, he attempted suicide. He said, like many of my peers, many of my friends have, he, he found himself on, on a bed of suicide, he quotes. And he says, and then he survived. And someone showed up at his bedside with a Bible. And he got saved. And he became a Christian. And at that moment, he says, he realized that God has a plan for his brokenness. That God has a plan for the brokenness all around him. And that, that, and that God's plan involves him. And that God wanted to use him. So he got plugged in with Youth for Christ. And he began going to a Youth for Christ Bible study in in India. And he uh, began to grow and he began to lead that Bible study. His family uh, moved to Canada after that to kind of get out of the situation they were in. And uh, there in Canada, he, he started developing his preaching. And he won the Asian Youth Preacher Contest. And uh, he even met Billy Graham and, and, and uh, sat under some of his teaching for a while. And here's a cool part about all this is that he realized that he was broken and, and he was at a low point in life and that he was in a dark place in life, but that God miraculously saved him and had a plan for his life and wanted to use him. So he said, God, whatever it is you want for me, if you can use me, a broken person, if you can use me in this world, please do. So he, got, he started preaching and he actually became... Licensed by the Christian and Missionary Alliance, our um, denomination here. And he's been an itinerant speaker, evangelist, and apologist for 40 plus years, telling the story of God and defending the faith. And it's just an awesome thing that he, he, God saved him miraculously and realized God could use him, God could use his brokenness, and God has a plan for him, and God has a plan for his brokenness, and, and he's been doing it ever since. And I, I really admire that, and, and the book I'm reading by him is, is really, really good. But to kind of wrap that up, um, the two things this morning that I really want us to hear is this, that God has a plan in this broken world, that we can have hope that God's going to make all things right, that God's plan is Jesus, and that Jesus will set all things right. 
And secondly, that God invites us. God invites me and you in our brokenness. I'm not talking about, again, unrepentant sin, but just our lives. God invites us to be part of the plan He has in this world. One day, God will make all things right. And if we trust Him today, if we say the simple prayer, God, use me. God, lead me. Holy Spirit, guide me. He will. And and He's worthy to follow. And um, it's out of His His great love that He restores us back to Himself. He, He wants to be with us simply. He just wants to be with us in close communion. So on that note... I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite the worship team back together. I'm going to give you a couple opportunities to to respond today. Um, Three ways. First is, excuse me, uh, if you are hearing this and and you know, like David, there's just this overwhelming guilt and and sin, I say, and shame uh, that you're holding on to from sin and brokenness, and you don't know the Lord, today God is offering you the forgiveness of sins and and the freedom to not be stuck in that that cycle. So if you don't know the Lord, I'd invite you to just this morning pray with us that God might enter your heart and transform you and and break the cycle of of sin and shame and guilt that you might be um, beating yourself up about and live in the freedom that trusting Christ has to offer. So I'd invite you to do that when we pray. I'll say a simple prayer. Um, Secondly, is that what is your part in God's plan? Um, now, it's Christ who, who initiates the plan, and, and he's, he's the remedy, but he invites, he invites us to be part of that, to be ambassadors of the life that he has to offer, that he has to give, and he's inviting us, and the invitation is there. So my second invitation is, what might God have you do in in this world, in this life, in your neighborhood, um, with the people you know, in your family, to represent Him and to be an ambassador of Him? So I'm going to pray. Um, worship team is going to sing. The basket's going to come by for um, just the communication cards. And, and if you don't know Christ as your Lord, you can you can pray this prayer for me. You can ask for more information on the communication card, and we'd love to follow up with you. But it's one of the most important decisions that you have to make in this world, and it's so worth making. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I pray and ask, God, that each person in this room today would be Uh, touched by your Holy Spirit, that we'd be moved towards um, you a step closer. Whether that's um, the initiation of a brand new relationship with you, or whether that's I've been stuck in in this sin and I want to be out of it. I pray that each person here would, would make one step closer to you today. And not just a step, but God, we would, we would run full sprint towards you each and every day and always run towards you. So God, um, I pray and ask for any person in this room who's not made that decision that they would trust you, that they would say, God, I, 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 I have this sin in my life, I have this brokenness in my life, would you make me whole? Would you make me new? I trust in you for the forgiveness of my sins and I, I want to follow you. And God, for anyone else, I pray again that your Holy Spirit would just um, lead us, that your Holy Spirit would make evident to us the ways in which we need to to do things differently. 
the ways in which we need to love people better, the ways in which we need to walk in, in freedom. And God, it's by your grace, it's by your love that motivates us and, and, and gives us the strength. So I pray all these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen.